if you allow somebody to call, call you a cost center, first and foremost, that's your fault, right? You should come back. You should come back with, with business reasons on why there's no way in hell you can do your job without me, right? And it, again, this is an ecosystem we all evolve and, and revolve and exist together. Totally get that. But there's one beating heart of an organization. There's only one, and that's talent acquisition because you cannot sell stuff if you don't have salespeople. You can't create stuff if you don't have product people, right? You can't do any of that without somebody going out and identifying and getting the best talent for you. For the first three episodes of this podcast, I have very specifically talked to non-talent acquisition people. I've talked to branders. I've talked to marketing strategists. I've talked to strategists. I've talked to people who are incredibly smart and have very interesting ideas about how the world works and tried to bring them to talent acquisition. Today, we're going the other way around. Because you see, talent acquisition is absolutely in a rut. Yes, we love to talk about AI. We love to talk about ChatGPT and all the cool new technology coming around. But to the average recruiter, it's not permeating. The average recruiter still recruits like it's 2010, frankly. And that means for the 5 or 10% of recruiters who are off doing amazing things, the rest are getting left behind. And that's why I brought in Chad Sowash, the more, shall we say, aerodynamic of the Chad and Cheese podcast pairing. Lately, he's been talking a great deal about the value of talent acquisition. To his way of thinking, if we don't value talent acquisition, why bother changing? We're just a cog in a big machine, so we might as well find the easiest way to do the job. Of course, if you're a recruiter, you never use the word easiest to define what you do and how you do it. But do you also define your work as valuable? In a lot of companies I've seen, that's not the case. Talent acquisition gets treated like a cost center, pushed to the side, squeezed down to as little as possible, and I don't know. If talent acquisition wants to change, if they want to embrace new technology, if they want to be better, it starts by showing the world their value. In my heart, I believe that talent acquisition wants to be the best it can be, to drive the most value to their companies as humanly possible, but they're kind of in a box. And Chad is someone who's trying to say, the fastest way out of that box is to define and show your own value in terms that the business actually understands. Chad and I have been friends for a while, so we had a really fun, relaxed kind of conversation. I think you're gonna get a lot out of it, especially if you're in talent acquisition. And if you're not in talent acquisition, ask yourself, why doesn't your company value the acquisition of great talent, the people who grow the company? So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chad Sowash. Hey, Chad, how you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. Where That's... are you right now? Tell people where you are to make them jealous because you're just that guy. I am on the southern coast of Portugal right now. It's called the Algarve. That's the technical term. So uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful, sunny, uh, mid seventies, low eighties. It's it's kind of nice for uh, for uh, November. <laughs> yeah, well, and not Brazil where it's one hundred and four thousand degrees <laughs> yes. in the summer. So yeah, you're you're yeah. walking a really nice tightrope there. That's nice. That's nice. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, look, I, I can't imagine that no one knows who you are. I can't even, I can't conceive of that. It's like, there are people who everybody <laughs> knows it's hung. It's you and, and, and Joel. Uh -huh. Um, there's a couple other people who are usually like, of course, everybody knows these people, but for those who don't either don't know you because of your sure. podcasts and newsletters and all the work you're doing, I think what's in, might be interesting is, is, is they don't know your background. They don't know where you came from and how, what was the kind of the through line of how you got from let's call you barely functioning adult walking out of high school, college time, you know, what are you oh, yeah. going to do with your life too? How did you get to Portugal, right? How did you get, you know, so, you know, spending the winter in Portugal guy? How, what, what's your path? Uh, it's a total fluke. Uh, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it really is an interesting journey because right out of, right out of high school, uh, I knew that I did not want to stay in Mansfield, Ohio any longer. And literally like six days after I graduated high school, I was in basic training in the U.S. Army. Wow. Yeah. Four years active, um, had a little combat time while I was there and, um, <laughs> after that I got out four years in, I'm like, okay, that's good. 
um, got some college money, all that fun stuff. I went into the reserves because I did like the structure. I did like, I did oh, okay. like, uh, the military in itself, but I found myself, uh, in a copier in, in fax sales position, which is one of the hardest sales jobs known to humankind other than maybe like a Kirby vacuum sales, okay. thing, right? Fuller brush salesman. Come on. <laughs> yes. Fuller brush salesman. Um, and at that point, I was actually uh, I was I was recruited over into radio advertising, sales, and promotion, which is probably one of the easiest sales jobs in the world. And you go from something that is it is uh, totally tangible that you have to take these copiers in, right? They have to you know they have to demo the faxes. They've got all these things, right? <clears throat> to something that is totally you're selling air, you're selling yeah. concepts, you're selling promotions, uh, and that was amazing and fun. Uh, I was then recruited away from there uh, to a little company that was uh, known as Online Career Center, and it turned into Monster.com. Ah, here, here's the turn. Yeah, which uh, which uh, was around. Uh, it was actually late 1998. So I've been in this space for 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 a little while. It's 25 uh, years. That's not nothing. Not too bad. Not too bad. I. Uh, was that monster for a little while. I then served as the the no, number two over at direct employers, which was the perfect position for about 10 years because I worked directly with fortune 500, uh, global leaders, uh, to process building systems. I mean, everything down in the dirt with them, which is really cool. And they were talking about like a, a variety of, uh, of, uh, fortune 500 companies. I worked directly with colleges and universities, actually helped them build one of the very first systems called NACELINK, um, and then worked uh, directly with state and federal government to create the National Labor Exchange, which was infrastructure that connected all the major, mainly Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 government contractor companies, uh, provided uh, technical infrastructure to deliver jobs down into the state systems, which was something that was incredibly important for compliance. Uh, right after that, I, I worked with employee media who owned the entire dot jobs, top level domain. So when you go to get like your dot this or dot yeah. that, when it comes to, they owned all everything that ended in dot jobs. And we spun up a platform to compete with Indeed, that was 40,000 different websites. So oh like boston.jobs, mm -hmm. bostonsales.jobs, sales.jobs, and all of those, literally the canonical domains were the search queries. Yeah. So whatever you went to, and all you had to do was go to your browser and type in, you know, um, uh, sales, you know, Boston dot or Boston dot jobs or Boston sales dot jobs or Omaha sales dot jobs or Omaha brush sales, whatever the hell it was. Right. Uh, and then it just automatically, it, it, it happened and it had one platform that fed all of those. So, uh, that was incredibly awesome. Uh, I, it, it, it failed because Google liked yeah. the simplicity of indeed and us just bombarding them with 40,000 different sites that, that had only corporate contents, not job board content, but corporate content, uh, was just too much for them to, to deal with. Uh, I found myself, uh, at, uh, at Ronstad, well, actually at, at recruit military for a little while, uh, at Ronstad, their RPO division, where I actually led and built, uh, their, their first and only, uh, veteran hiring program for all of their clients, literally built Ford Motor Company's veteran hiring program for them and uh, ejected out of there, revived my consulting practice. And the Chad and G's podcast literally started as a branding exercise for Joel and I, right? Yeah. I, I had my own company. He had his own company. We wanted to get back out there and uh, it's turned into the news opinion and content machine that it is today. What year was that? When did it start? Uh, 2017. I, I tried. It took me about a year to get his ass off the couch. <laughs> yeah. But six years for a podcast is, yeah, that is, that is old school fraud podcasting. That is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we're approaching 2000 episodes. I think we're close to 1800 now. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. so hold on. So you came in through sales and you deal with recruiting and everybody knows, everybody equates that recruiting is sales, sales, recruiting sort of thing. What's your take on that? Like how, how full of crap is that? Or how real is that? 
Oh, I mean, it's totally real. I mean, there, there, there are definitely nuances, right? But when you're talking about recruiting, you're literally trying to sell the position to the top candidates. And then on the other side, you're trying to sell the top candidates to the hiring managers, yeah. right? So, I mean, it's, it's like a dual capacity uh, sales approach, not to mention from a marketing standpoint, from a technology standpoint. I mean, recruiters, I mean, they are, I would say the ultimate salespeople. Um, the ones that do it incredibly well. So anybody who's, who, who says that recruiting is not sales, they've never been in sales. The problem I have with that, though, is that if you say recruiting is sales, there is so much research and so much knowledge about how to do good sales and recruiters kind of go, but I'm not a salesperson. Like there's, it's, it's like there's a gold mine. And, and the same for email marketing. If you think about the amount of emailing a recruiter mm -hmm. does in a given day and they, oh, like, yeah. why don't you listen to email, new email marketing podcasts or email marketing books? Like there's so, there's a treasure oh, yeah. trove of good thinking out there that they're just kind of ignoring. The best ones do though. I mean, and, and that's the thing Fair. is that the ones that progress, the ones who stay, the ones that literally, I mean, there are ones during, during the pandemic were doing three full-time jobs because they're so damn good. Nobody could keep up with them in one of those jobs, but they were yeah. doing three of them and just making hay, right? If you, if you do those things, like you're talking about, if you actually teach yourself or learn or, or go through some of the udemies or, or what have you um i mean you will kick ass and take names and and not many humans can sale scale in, yeah. incredibly well especially in recruiting but if you can just broaden your bandwidth up just a tad and yeah. you can just kill the game totally so that's a that's a nice segue because i, I want to get into really and and as i mentioned the podcast here is kind of rethink you know, the stuff that we've been doing over and over again is kind of broken. And yeah. I know people say oh, it's recruiting is not broken. I'm like it is and it isn't. And I don't want to get in the quibbling here, but I think we've definitely been having these same conversations for decades, right? Yeah. We had, it's, I'm, oh, so, yeah. I'm so sick of having the same conversations, the same complaints. Like if we're going to make things better, we have to change. So yeah. let's start with kind of like baseline thinking. And if you were to, if like an alien were kind of beam himself down or herself or what themself or what self or whatever. It's an alien. What do I know? Uh, it shows up at your door and says, please explain to me talent acquisition. What is it? Define it. What's the value of it? What would you say? Okay. So long version, I would go with, you know, talent acquisition identifies, finds, recruits, and hires the talent necessary for any organization to actually run. No company can ideate a product, develop that product, deliver the product, sell it, service it, retain customers, or even gain wallet share without talent acquisition. So the short answer is every company dies without talent acquisition. Love it. So, but take it beyond that. I mean, that's, that's, that's very, one, first off, I love that you're boiling it down to business terms. Like yeah. without it, there's no growth. Without it, there is no business. Without it, yeah. the company dies. But, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's expand that out a bit, you know, to kind of say, what is talent? Do you have like a, like a scope of talent acquisition? Like where does talent acquisition start and end? How do, you know, is it, is it in a box? You know, how, talk me through your thinking there. So I think we need to rethink how we're actually creating narratives and, and, and how we're, how we're thinking about what we do on a daily basis. Um, we need to be more strategic. We also need to think a more business minded, right? We have to have business answers instead of coming up with our, our, our own metrics, right? Like yeah. time to hire. Nobody gives a shit, right? Cost per hire. Nobody gives a shit, right? Those are, those are your, those are your metrics, your analytics that, that they're important to you, but the C-suite doesn't give a shit. The CRO doesn't give a shit. CMO, they, they don't care, right? We have to be able to take those metrics further down the line to be able to show how 30 days versus 60 days getting a, a vital position filled, what that actually costs the, the organization. If it's 60 days, what does it cost? What That open position costs the, the, the organization something. What is it? The problem is we don't go business line by business line in understanding how we impact and how the talent actually impacts the bottom line, whether it's product, again, whether it's sales, service. I mean, if it's a vital role, there will be a correlation to the bottom line, period. Mm -hmm. And that I, I, I would want to take it another step. It's not just empty or not. Mm -hmm. It's about, look, there are certain roles where just empty or not is enough, but there's certain yeah. roles that are 
company changing. If you have someone of quality, you grow the companies. You have opportunities, you have options, you have channel selection choices, you've got business selection choices that you simply didn't have if you just filled the role. And yeah. we don't even talk about that at all. Well, yeah, and I mean, we also have to understand we're in we're in a space where speed kills, right? It either kills us or it kills our competitors. We either get to that talent uh, in a very quick manner without throwing them into a black hole or, or what have you. Um, and this might not have been the first time we touched that candidate, right? We, we could have, it could have had a bad touch yeah. years ago where they came through the process and they were totally ghosted, right? So we have to think long-term, more long-term about how we are impacting all of these individuals and getting to the best talent the fastest and, and also being incredibly fluid. Something that really bothers me is that, you know, we try, we try to come in with this box method. Mm -hmm. Here's the box and you're done, right? You're never done. The landscape, the terrain, everything is constantly changing. And if we don't continually, continuously assess what's going on, uh, not just in our own house, but going out and, and talking to the CROs and the CMOs and the CFOs and so on and so forth and understanding what's happening in their landscape, then we are going to continue to fight fires like we do today. And, that, and that's a problem. Quick question. If you could increase the offer acceptance rate by 20%, what would that be worth? Or maybe get 10% more prospects responding to your recruiters, what, what would that be worth? Or lowering your ad spend and your agency spend by 15, 20%, what would that be worth? I'm gonna bet it's worth a lot more than $1,500 a month. And that's how much it costs to build an employer brand, especially when you treat it as a subscription or employer brand as a service. If you want to learn more about how you can make these kinds of impacts almost immediately, check out employerbrandlabs.com. That's employerbrandlabs.com. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So that's a really interesting point that you bring up, that there is this box and recruiters are expected to exist in it. They are handed a base level set of tools, a tech stack, a process. Um, you know, they exist within the a larger hiring system that HRBPs, comp and ban executives, all these other pieces have already defined for them. And they've got this little space and they're expected to do as they're told. They're expected to send these mail. You know, we're, we're a company that sources out or we're a company that waits for the end to apply. You know, there's always this kind of dogma or philosophy implied. And it feels like we're hiring recruiters who, let's be fair, are not exactly cheap in any way, shape, or form, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But we're handcuffing them the second they get in the door. And we're saying, do not think. Do not try. Just answer these questions. Just do as you're told. Just color inside the lines. Where is that? What, you know, do you have any sense of where does that thinking come from? Well, it comes, it's top down. It's all top down, right? And it's and it's a very rigid thought process. And, and again, it's one of the reasons why uh, many talent acquisition leaders are fighting fires today because they are trying to work within a box. And the world doesn't fit within a box, kids. It's constantly changing. It's 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 not a box. It's a sphere. It's a this. It's a that. Who the hell knows, right? But it's something entirely different than what you started off with. Mm. And if leaders have those connected that connective tissue to the different lines of business then they'll understand how things are ebbing and flowing not to mention if they also keep those lines of business responsible and accountable for the process yep. and also for budget because let's say for instance you're flooding me with all of these these uh these these jobs i don't have resources to actually fill all these positions which ones are vital well, wait a minute. What do you mean? Which ones are vital? Which ones are vital? Because those are the ones that we're starting with. Number one, number two, I can only do the top five unless you give me X amount of budget. Then I can, then I can expand my resources. I can also take a look at new technologies to be able to fit what your business solution is, is needing, right? That's the thing. We need to be more flexible in dealing directly with the lines of business. And we're not, we just sit and wait for them to send us something. It's yep. like, oh, what wreck is coming in today? What wreck is coming in today? And we need to be more proactive and we need to have that connective tissue to the business. Is that sense of being one connected to the business to challenging the business and what expectations are? Is that what you mean by strategic? Because I feel like no that's, cause that's yes. a word that we throw around all day long. And frankly, oh, yeah. most people don't define it very well. So let's dive into that. I will give you a great example. So Trent Cotton, who's a TA leader in our space, he will literally tell hiring managers, no, that's not a vital position. Um, and, and a couple of different reasons why. You can't demonstrate to me why it's vital to the organization, number one. Number two, 
you're not taking enough time. I mean, you have too many uh, roles in, right? Uh, and we can only do top five and you know that. So since you can't, number one, demonstrate that this is vital to the company, to the organization, and I am a, a steward of the company, right? And the money that is spent and not spent. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that we have to do. We have to hold all of these lines of business because if we know the business, and again, this goes back to learning the business. If we know the business and we understand, then we can have these adult conversations. Today, we just sit and wait to get flogged, yeah. right? We're in, we're in the town square getting flogged because we're not doing our job and understanding the business and having that connective tissue with our peers. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're, they're not above us. They're our peers and nobody... And the organization doesn't exist without us. And you're getting squeezed from two different sides. On one side, you've got leadership money saying less budget, less budget, less budget. So there's less peanut butter to spread. And then you've got more and more hiring managers saying spread that peanut butter thinner and thinner and thinner. And obviously, the net result is nothing gets done well. Yeah. Well, I, uh, Jeff Lackey, when he was the uh, VP of talent at CVS, not a small organization, uh, Top five. 90%, 90%, 90% of his budget came from other lines of business because he went to them and said, look, here's my, here's my little bitty budget. Here's what you're asking me to do. I can't do it. It's not, it, it, it can't, I can't spread the peanut butter thin enough. And if I do, my people are going to leave because yeah. I'm spreading my resources too thin. And then guess what? You're not going to get what you need to get done. So therefore I need X amount of budget to be able to make this happen. And it, it, there is this kind of like, they're your, your peer and customer at the same time conversation. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that's happening, which means if you start taking money from them, you'd better have your shit right and you better perform. Yeah. And that, but honestly, first off, as a, as a sort of tangent, mm -hmm. your best customers are your peers. You should treat them as your peers. You should engage yeah. with them as peers. You are partners right. in this solving the problem. Yep. Yep. And at the same time, I want to unpack what you just said a little bit to make it more clear. And sure. it's this idea that TA leaders are often said, you know, they're, they're, they're Oliver, please, sir, can I have some more money because I yeah. want the money um, more? So we, we could do a whole Dickens play. It's okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. So they're asking for more, but they're just asking for more. They're not giving a good reason, compelling reason why. And I think yes. we're missing that piece of the reason you, you should be asking for more is because it leads to better business outcomes, not team outcomes, not TA outcomes, not recruiting outcomes, not HR outcomes, but to better business outcomes. And the more we tie to that, the more one TA is seen as not just this cost center. And there's a buzzword I knew you'd We'd get to eventually, right? We yeah. had to have, we couldn't have missed that one. But the yeah. more they say that, the more they're treated as a cost center. And the more you're a cost center, the more you're a thing you squeeze to it's as small as humanly possible. If you allow somebody to call, call you a cost center, first and foremost, that's your fault, right? You should come back. You should come back with, with business reasons on why there's no way in hell you can do your job without me, right? And again, this is an ecosystem. We all evolve and, and revolve and exist together. Totally get that. But there's one beating heart of an organization. There's only one. And that's talent acquisition because you cannot sell stuff if you don't have salespeople. You can't create stuff if you don't have product people, right? You can't do any of that without somebody going out and identifying and getting the best talent for you. So we have to stiffen our spine. We have to stop the, the, the Oliver bullshit and we have to actually take, yeah, and take, we have to take those numbers down the line and we have to learn the business. And we're talking to a, C, a CRO. We're like, Hey, look, we can actually get sales people in those positions faster, which is going to help you get to goal faster, not to mention achieve prospectively that goal much faster. Mm -hmm. If we do X, Y, and Z, if we have this kind of budget, I can't do it with this because it's just too thin. So. If you take a step back and you look at companies at budgets, and you're, I mean, honestly, I, I can't get good solid numbers, but my sense is on average, a company spending anywhere from four to 7% of its operating budget on talent acquisition, the ATS, mm -hmm. the, high, the, the recruiting uh, salaries, the, the tech stack, the space, all of that stuff. You're talking four to 7%, which is not an insignificant sum of what a company spends, no, right? It is a, it's a, it's, it's a real chunk of change. This is not a rounding error of the money you find under the couch cushions. So right. how come a business says, yes, we're going to give 7% of our operating income to this organization, but we're not going to let them make decisions. How does that happen? 
because we're not treating talent acquisition as a business. I mean, as TA professionals, every talent acquisition leader should know which roles, again, are vital to the organization and what those roles actually cost the bottom line on a daily basis. That's powerful. Yet you ask any TA leader today and they don't have a damn clue. Yeah. That's the problem. If you can say, look, here's a list of my vital roles. That is amazing, right? If you don't have that, go to the lines of business and again, start those conversations. But the thing is you challenge them. Why yeah. are these vital? Why are these vital? And if they are vital, okay, now we need to start looking at what it's going to cost for us to ensure that we get those vital roles filled quicker with better talent, right? That we, we have better retention and less attrition because again, that all goes down to the bottom line, whether it's, it's, it's filling the role, but also keeping somebody happy in that role. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of that cost center perspective being mm -hmm. assigned and labeled a cost center comes from having to live inside another cost center, i.e. HR? Right. If it, it, would it be different if TA was kind of floating loose and relative to the business or connected to the business or some other team? And I don't, I, I, and as an employer brander, I hate the game of where should the employer brand live? It's a parlor trick. It's a game. It's a thing we play when we're bored. But yeah. is there any thought of because HR is a cost center and because HR is a structure that is designed to eliminate risk wherever possible, putting a business unit inside a risk removal unit is mm -hmm. a recipe for disaster? Yeah, I mean, we could we could have a whole podcast on how HR is not a cost center because of many different aspects of of the reasons why, right? Yeah. But it, let's talk to the TA professional right out right out of the gate. It doesn't matter what your big brother says you are. Okay, it, none of that matters. It doesn't matter what your big brother says you are. You have to have a, a stiff enough spine to go to the CHRO, demonstrate what is happening because you're having conversations with the lines of business, right? And you have to teach them. This is an education process, right? This is a relationship mm -hmm. that you have to build uh, to ensure that not only you get what you want, but if you get what you want, then they should be getting what they want, right? And I, I know this sounds like a utopia, but it is a hell of a lot more utopian uh, than what we're doing today. And I think we, we can't let go of the idea that it sounds like we're telling TA leaders, go do this thing as if they're the only part in this player, the only player in this, mm -hmm. this, this dance, right? I've seen it happen where when TA leaders step up and say, look, this is what we need and they get it from the business, the business mm -hmm. treats them better. The business respects them. The business opens the door a bit more. The business includes them in conversations. And if you want to achieve better outcomes, not just for the company, but for yourself to be seen as a true leader, that is the doorway through is to make those hiring managers understand that you are a business person oh, yeah. first and foremost. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting because you go into any, any new company and it's an entirely different landscape. You've got to figure out what is more important to them. I remember being at Ronsod and you could, you knew you were in a leadership, uh, uh, call because they, they said EBITDA, uh, like 27 times within the first five minutes. Yeah. Right. I mean, you understood what mattered. So then you could, could focus on how you could deliver to what their needs were. Right. That's going to be different from company to company. So that's the biggest key. And again, we, we, we try to kind of like pull ourselves back, you know, go into the corner, you know, get in the fetal position, put our thumb in our mouth, as opposed to getting up, stiffening our spine and finding out what the hell we can do to help the business. I mean, that's the biggest key. If they see that, and if they see that happening, then uh, of course you're going to be seen as an equal because without you, they don't exist. Yeah, totally. So let's, let's kind of take a turn here to move to a different line of thought because while I love this and I'm glad this is a conversation that should be had more and more often about strategy and position and frankly, treating TA like a true business function in every mm -hmm. respect, in any, any, every aspect of the word. Um, but you've spent the last six years on the podcast, really diving deep on technology and it's an interesting process because Recruiting has always wrestled with technology, right? Yeah. There, I, I know recruiters who couldn't spell Google. I know recruiters who code, right? I know it's, it's a wide spectrum. Oh, yeah. But we, yeah. we all know technology is on so many levels leading the change of what recruiting is all about. 
you've set yourself up, I think, and maybe this mm -hmm. is intentionally, maybe this is not, but this is certainly my perspective and tell me where I'm wrong, is that you've walked, seen it as you, a little skeptically. You said just because it's okay. new doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's cool doesn't mean it's good. What is it? And I think that perspective of how do you connect it to business outcomes is so vital. It's not like, ooh, it's AI because I sprinkled the AI like, like you know, sugar on my cornflakes. It's not yeah. magically better, but mm -hmm. what is the business outcome of achieving? So in the six years where you've been skeptical, and let's be fair, the last six years have, has been a sea change, an absolute oh, yeah. sea change of technology. Oh, yeah. What have you learned both about technology and about business organizations and recruiting in general? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that talent acquisition professionals need to think about is the end outcome, right? Not how you get there. Is it AI? Is it RPA? Is it a chatbot? Is it, 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 no, 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 no. Because that's going to be different from, again, company to company, landscape to landscape, experience to experience. So you have to really understand what that is intended outcome is and and we're talking we're not talking about like at the end i want a good hire right we're yeah. talking about the whole process and there are point solutions out there all over the place so you know i've learned that there will always be great solutions that are helping us advance our business position which is what we should always be doing but then, then there are also a ton of vendors that are out there that are vaporware they're over promising they're under delivering uh there's also tech that's entering the space from outside talent acquisition and they're providing solutions for problems that quite frankly don't exist uh, and or they're not priority enough where, where HRT is ever going to give a shit about them, right? So so there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise and, and sometimes it can be just deafening. The biggest difference between the, the just the 25 years that I've been in this space is scale mm. and the pure amount of technology entrance into this space and their ability to achieve some type of minimum viable product is uh is getting more fast and more furious day by day the point or the purpose of employer brand is to help people choose your company as a place to work over other companies now put that way suddenly employer brand doesn't seem so complicated it doesn't seem so crazy and it seems like something your company could take advantage of. And it is. Take a look at employerbrand.ing, employerbrand.ing, or employer branding, and you can find hundreds of resources, either free or dirt cheap, to help you understand what employer brand really is, how it really works, how to measure it, how to value it, how to talk about it, how to sell it to your boss. So check out employerbrand.ing for all sorts of employer brand resources to help you take advantage of your company's employer brand. I, I, I make the joke sometimes that if you've ever been married, you understand that if you go to the grocery store and you buy a pack of paper plates for a hundred dollars, you know, hundred paper plates, it's like four bucks. Mm -hmm. If you label them as wedding paper plates, it's two bucks a pop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think on some level, talent acquisition suffers the same challenge because I think there's an assumption and maybe this is my cynical black beating heart. And we all know you are not a stranger to a cynical black beating heart, sir. No. Um, I think there's this cynical sense that te tech vendors assume TA leaders couldn't spell HTML with a gun to their head. They have no clue how this technology works. And I'm not saying that's true. I'm yeah. saying that's an expectation. And because of that, there's been a lot of misrepresentation. There's been a lot of over-promising. It doesn't magically, oh, yeah. it does this thing. And I think that's where talent, where in a lot of ways talent acquisition has, has a real challenge of how does it, how does it mature enough to actually evaluate technology for their own needs and not because this is what everybody likes, or this is what everybody says is cool. Well, again, going back to this whole line of thinking, if we're being seen as a strategic ally, right in business, then we can start to get assets that will help us either external assets or internal assets that'll help us better understand the noise that's happening out there. Because again, we can't just buy tech and then put it down and then walk away for three years. Yeah. Right. We've got to be constantly thinking of the, you know, the, the terrain shifts that are happening left and right. Um, so, I mean, we have to have partners that are going to help us with that. And it's extra challenging because, because of the position TA is within the organization, mm -hmm. in a budget 
you know, annual budget structure. You start to think about what you want in the summer. You start to write it down in September and submit it. You start, you hear whether, how much of that is going to get approved in January. And let's Mm -hmm. be fair, in many organizations, it's not till March that you actually see the money. Mm -hmm. And three months later, you're starting for the next year. And how it went, when, when, your ability to make choices on a financial level, on a technological mm-hmm. level, is so glacially slow. How does that change what TA can take advantage of? Like, I, look, if if a C, if a if a CP or um, CFO says we need this thing, they're the ones with the checkbook. They can cut that check tomorrow, right? It's easy. When the when the head of TA says we want this something, it's a year to two years before anything can change. Mm-hmm. In that world. How do we change? How do we keep up with the times? How, you know, I know surfing where the, or, or skating where the puck is, but how do you know when all this stuff is changing all the time? Yeah. So first and foremost, we already know what the game is. So, you know, don't be surprised when you have to play the game and, and you lose, right? You've got to adjust how you play the game. Okay. So, you know, the cycle that you run in, right? You have to make sure that you have a, a couple of different things. You have uh, partners that are technical vendors slash partners that are there that are more fluid that you can i mean you can be a part of creating and being possibly a part of the roadmap or somebody on your staff consulting on part of the roadmap but whenever we say that we've run out of budget well that's just because you're not creative and you're not dealing with uh the the other lines of business and here's a great example Amy Butchko, who was the VP of talent, uh, was it technology? Yeah, talent technology for SEIC, not a small company. Here in Chicago. She, yes, it, she amazingly, she went to the CRO because the CRO is like, hey, why can't I get my, my, my positions filled quick enough? And she's like, let me show you why. So she showed her the system, right? And she said, this is what we need. We need to be able to move away from this. We need something that's faster, something that'll do this, something that does what you need. To, to have done, right? You need to have done, but I don't have the budget for this. The CRO, she said, how much do you need? She showed her the number. She's like, let's do it. I will fund that. That is the kind of mindset that we have to be in because as we're looking at our budget, again, Jeff Lackey, 90% of his budget was from out there, right? Amy went directly to the CRO, said, hey, look, this is a project. You need it because this is for you. This is what it's going to cost. Me and my team will take care of this for you. I want to unpack that just one more step because yes. I think if I'm a TA leader, I'm hearing this and it sounds wonderful. It sounds amazing. And who's this guy, Chad? And why, what is he doing in Portugal? And how, why, how is he, why is he not spreading this gospel farther and wider? And I know, let's be fair, you're doing I'm trying. Yeah, I'm I trying. know. Right. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, the, the, stop, get, the, 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 the stumbling block. Mm-hmm. is a lack of trust that TA leaders are often seeing as serving the TA team before they're seen as serving. So how do you, is there one kind of just trick, technique, tool that you can tell a TA leader to say, look, when you walk in that room, you're talking to a hiring manager who's got a deep, deep need, and you also happen to know they've got a pocket full of cash that you'd love to pull a little out of, right? Yeah, yeah. What is the way or how do you start that conversation? What do you do? I'm just going to open it wide because you may, I don't know where you're going to go with this because this is a random question. How do you start to build that trust? It, it, it's, it's step by step. It's like any relationship. You can't just walk in and boom, have somebody's trust right out of the gate, right? And, and so you have to start building that connective tissue and understanding the business because once you demonstrate that you care, what they want and need and you start talking about how you work together to actually make that happen and you know you're you're transparent say hey look this is what my budget is this is what i can this is what i can feasibly afford to do for you then you have you've let the walls down you've helped them understand what the situation what the business situation is then you together start talking about business solutions. You do that from one line of business to the next line of business, and you have an open and, and honest, transparent conversation with them. Now, if you get a chance to actually get at the, you know, get to, to the, the big kids table to have this conversation, this is where all the business information lines up. You're not talking about a bunch of metrics that are bullshit talent acquisition metrics. You're talking about things that shareholders give a shit about. As soon as you start doing that, the C-suite goes, whoa, yeah. Whoa. Okay. Wait a minute. Let's have that discussion. Right. So this is not an overnight, this is not an overnight, you know, 
win. You have to, you have to do the work. You and your team, right? have to do the work. Jeff, uh, again, go back to Jeff Lackey at CVS, you know, his number two was responsible for one, just one department bringing $10 million of budget in from just one department. Why? Because they knew the business need and they, and, and together them and that line of business actually understood that with that little bitty budget that you know hr and ta has it just wasn't going to get done so they made it they made it work wow okay so clean sheet of paper here real quick okay i'm asking your opinion on your your your, your position is so interesting because you've been around ta leaders for your entire career one mm -hmm. shape form or another yeah. if you were to build your own ta position from or you know the ta function from a clean sheet of paper mm -hmm. What's the most important or just sort as best you can? I know this is a tough question, but what's most important? Technology, people, process, strategy, mindset, or relationships? What's most so, and least important? So we got technology, people, process, strategy, mindset, and relationships. So, I mean, all of them are important, but it depends on the company and the terrain that you find yourself in. Okay. And, you know, should you rank strategy above relationships, let's say, well, if you find yourself as a leader in a new company, you need allies, which means you need relationships and that takes priority, right? Because you can create an amazing strategy, but without allies, that should just falls on deaf ears, right? Yeah. So the landscape of every situation is different. Um, I have seen many incredibly successful uh, TA leaders they have their roadmap from the company that they just came from. And they bring that roadmap into the organization. And, and 60 days later, we're having a discussion. They're like, it's, it's just not working. Yeah. It's not working. And you're like, well, yeah, because you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to build the exact same house on entirely different land. You, it, it just, it doesn't work that way. Right. So we have to be incredibly smart people and they pivot and, and, and they work differently. That's what we have to do. We have to be more fluid in thinking, you know, what is my situation? How do I prioritize? Then once again, you're going to have to reprioritize as you get more time in the seat or you've been in the seat for years or what have you, or leadership changes. I mean, there's all these different changes. You're going to have to reprioritize what's the, the, the focus, right? And, and what stacks up next, because you could go into an organization that has a halfway decent tech stack to, to some extent, right? And, uh, and that's okay. And you can allow that to work, right? As you start to build relationships and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I, Without answering the question, you know, that's, that's the answer. I don't actually, I think you did answer it. You just don't realize it. I think the mindset of having a fluid approach to looking at your problems, looking at your challenges as you, as they really are, not mm -hmm. as you remember them from the last job. Like it's yeah. the Super Bowl coach who says, okay, I'm just going to take the same plan and take it to this new team. Turns out yeah. I don't have nearly as good quarterback. So I don't know. Suddenly it's, it all falls apart. Um, yes, that's right. A sports metaphor here on a recruiting <laughs> employer brand podcast. Never heard of that. I never it heard doesn't happens. Um, so, gosh, I, I, you know, you, 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 uh, my mentally, I'm just unpacking it. I think it could go in 14 different good, directions. I don't want to go too. Don't want to go give too Give yourself far. some time. That's what we I do know. here in Europe. We give each other. We give each other time. We give each other time. A little glass of Chianti. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's about that time. Yeah. So, do you think most TA leaders come at it from a "this is how I was taught it" or "this is what worked the last company" and just going to go with it? Is that a big part of the challenge? Is that? And I think that goes. You know, if that's true, doesn't that go back to this in the box thinking that there is a way of doing things that, as recruiters and leaders, we should be saying, "No, there is no right answer. It's whatever right. we can make work." Well, that that's a, that's a very human thing. That's a very American thing. There's, this is this is this this is a, this is a, this is just go down this road and and you'll get to exactly where you need to go. I, I think I was lucky enough in in spending 20 years in total in the military, and everybody thinks that the, the military is incredibly regimented. Where um, when you're being taught something, it, there is a regiment. There's a standard operating procedure. Although we we train for all the different variables, right? Or we at least try to. And yeah. and that is one thing that's just from my mindset and how I've been able to structure it much different than most people who've only been, you know, in, in the civilian world, where I'm automatically thinking of contingency plans, pivots, 
different terrain, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I think as we're taught in school, right? This is what, this is two plus two equals this, and this is how you get there and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's, it's, it's a standardized structured format because it's easier to teach a large segment of people, but that is not how the world works. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways we expect our recruiters because recruiters didn't go to school for this. They yeah. come at it from what their own lived experience and they've kind of fumbled together a, a set of skills that, that work for them. Right. But to say, well, I don't know what your skills are and I, I can't understand all these different things that you sort of kind of know. So everybody mm -hmm. just jump in this box and kind of e exist in this way because right. as a leader, you've got to figure out how to orchestrate all these different people to create a broader outcome. And when you don't understand, well, it's not just this is a sorcerer and this is a recruiter. It's that this is a sorcerer who really loves making phone calls. They love engaging. They want to have a conversation with that person to find the next five people to talk to. This right. is a recruiter who wants to email everybody. And if they could never get on a phone call for the rest of their life, they would totally do that. Or they're a content marketer at heart where they just want to tell stories and be a loud mouth out there to attract people to them. And yeah. you, as a leader, how do you orchestrate? How do you bring them together? I imagine that's a huge challenge for a lot of TA leaders. Well, you have to understand it, it, it again, we're going to go, we're going to go to a sports analogy. If your quarterback is a running quarterback, try, stop trying to keep them in the pocket. Yeah. Okay. Let them, let them, let them flow, let them free. Right. So if you have that recruiter that is incredible on the tech side, then that's an asset for you to be able to, to be able to allow them kind of unleash them to some extent to on technology. You've got somebody who's more on the marketing side. I mean, th those are, those are great things to have. Don't try to, to rein them in, try to give them some, some play and, and then how they can actually help you. Right. I mean, just don't tell them just to stay in the pocket. Cause that doesn't always work. I love it. Okay. So let's kind of wrap it up. I got, I got sure. two questions to wrap it up with, though. They're a little okay. open-ended here. So if I could give you a magic wand and you could change TA leaders' minds about one thing, what would that one thing be about? That that you're not a cost center. I mean, that, that you are literally the beating heart of every organization. And in saying that, that you have to double, triple, quadruple down on learning the business. We have so many smart people in talent acquisition. Hell, some with MBAs, for God's sakes. And it's almost like they just, they forget it. It's like they forget the business logic that yeah. they've been taught their entire lives. And then they just go into this firefighting mode uh, in, in recruiting and, in talent acquisition, it's, we, we've got to get back to the, to, to the business thinking and strategy. I, so I, I want to connect that to something because I spent a little time in biotech and you're talking to recruiters who have to engage with people who have computational biology degrees and experience. And I don't actually know what that means. And I would gather you would probably be hard pressed to kind of explain that too. Yeah. yeah. These are potential world changers. And I f wonder if, and I know that they feel a little bit hamstrung because they can't speak the same language, right? They can mm -hmm. spell DNA, but let's be fair. Once you get into mitochondria, it's all, you know, third grade plays, right? Okay. So the mitochondria yeah. is the powerhouse of the thing. I don't know. Um, there's an <laughs> opportunity there to say, well, I th well, first off, most recruiters end up leaning towards the ATS says I have to do it this way. And so therefore I have to do it this way. And mm -hmm. you're really kind of, without saying it, but kind of saying it reject what the ATS is saying and focus more on what is your business needs. And that means learning the business, which can be learning their functional area, but it also can be learning how they look for jobs, learning what they engage with, learning how to get them to build content, to share what they know so that you can share and pass them on. There's so many ways to kind of expand that out. I think, I think my, I wonder if the challenge we're going to have is mm -hmm. while the phrase a leader must understand their business is a great line. And it's a thousand percent true. It can get really hackneyed in a, in a heartbeat to unpack it, to say, what does it mean to learn the business? What does it mean to say, how do we get more salespeople? If it's CVS trying to fill the business full of, of people who run cash registers and scan product, mm. yeah, you need $10 million because without that, you're not making any money. Okay. So that's one way of learning the business. But how do you also learn the business? This is how do you manage huge amounts of money for insurance company? Because CVS is also Aetna. Like that, those are the challenges we face. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I agree. And it's one of the reasons why, especially when you're an organization that big, you know, Jeff had 
you know, second, third, he had, he had people that actually knew those things. Right. And, and, and that was, you know, where he, where he received, I'm sure some of that money, he was putting it in his, his subject matter experts from those lines of business. I mean, I just, again, if you're going to run the business of TA, which is exactly what it is, how would you set it up as a business? Right. If you take a look at TA orgs today, take a look at TA orgs. They are not set up as a business. They are not set up as a business. We need to set talent acquisition up as its its own business. That well, thank you for writing my teaser line right there. That was, that was what that was. <laughs> That's all it was. Uh, so everybody else, tattoo that in the inside of your eyelids. Last question: Is there a challenge yeah. you'd like to give the audience? Something you'd like them to do today, tomorrow, next week? Just what is a challenge you could give them? Yeah, I mean, stop fighting fires and start looking for solutions to curb global warming, okay? The fires aren't going to stop if we don't stop this up top, right? It's 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 a strategic issue and if we don't understand what is causing global warming and we can't like curb it or stop it, then we're going to continue fighting fires and we're just fucked. I mean, we're, we're we're screwed. We we can't get past that, right? So I challenge you to think on a more strategic level in and again, start thinking like a business because if you don't do it, you're going to continue doing the same same thing over and over and over. And unfortunately, you're going to have good days, but you're going to have a lot of bad days. Chad Soash, ladies and gentlemen. Chad, where can people, I mean, aside from the obvious Chad and Cheese podcast, which let's mm. be fair, again, if you don't know the podcast, or at least not aware of it, you don't have to be the biggest fan in the world, but everybody's got to know it. Where can people find you? What should they be listening to right now? Yeah, uh, you can just go to chadcheese.com and or anywhere you listen to podcasts, YouTube, you know, Spotify, doesn't matter. You can go there or uh, I am the only Chad Sowash on LinkedIn, I think in the world. Uh, so nice. you can just go ahead and uh, yeah, it makes it easy. You just go ahead and just look up Chad Sowash, hook up with me, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. He's a really nice guy. I promise. He even listens and talks to me occasionally. Lies. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. Don't worry. I'll be nice about it. Good. Chad, thank you so much for this. It's been a pleasure and I appreciate it more than you know. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.